you guys have your Bibles before I give you the word, why don't we go ahead and turn to the scripture. Psalms 110. You can be turning there and we'll get ready for the message also. If you've, not, if you've never heard me say this, uh, or if you have, please uh, bear with me. Every December, uh, over the last, I believe, the last 13 years, um, so imagine this, 13 years ago, the Lord, um, I usually have a lot of time off in December, and so I've watched about 15 different versions of the Christmas Carol and yeah. A Wonderful Life and White Christmas and just kind of sit around and eat popcorn with my wife. And about 13 years ago, the Lord actually came to me and said, hey, would you like to know what I'm going to be doing next year? And I thought, yeah, that'd actually be kind of fun. And every year we have this conversation in December on what his heart is for the next year. Some of it I share with people, some of it I just pray about because that's what you're supposed to do with different things God shares with you. So we were getting to the end of December. I've been spending the last three weeks uh, um, renovating a bathroom. So I've been having all kinds of fun laying tile and doing all that kind of fun stuff. And um, something was going on, and I was asking the Lord, wow, we haven't had our conversation yet. What, what's on your heart for the next year? And out of his mercy, he just kind of showed up and said, well, let's talk about next year. So three things I want to just share with you. The Lord was encouraging me. Uh, please understand, when I'm about to share with you what I'm about to share, I'm sorry I'm giving all these qualifiers, but you need to know this. I don't have... Um, a bent one way or another when God shared these. And sometimes stuff he shares with me, I'm like, I'm not even thinking in that area, so why are you sharing this information with me? And then I realized, well, this is for everyone else. It's not for me. So the first one was this. He actually told me that he had made a covenant with the United States about being um, a light, a city on a hill. And because he had made that covenant with our country, and we're now bearing off from what he's called us to do, he's going to he told me this way, I'm going, and he didn't say it in anger, he just shared it with me. I'm going to shake your government in such a hard way, you need to prepare yourself, because I'm determined to bring the government back to what I had purposed it to be. So if you're going to, guys, everything that doesn't line up with the lordship of Jesus is not okay. And it's his job as a king to shake it. So don't be confused if you watch a bunch of stuff until, oh, ah, all that other stuff. Um, God's in the middle of all this. He's, he's after something. So don't go by what you're hearing in the news, because the Bible tells you that when you hear the opinions of men, they're but of breath. They do not have wisdom. They don't know what's going on most of the time. So they're shaken by this stuff. God wants to shake everything that can be shaken so that only what is eternal is left. Yes. And it's okay for him to do these kind of things. So we need to be at peace with it. God is good. He knows what he's doing. So that was the first thing he said. I'm going to intentionally. It's not, he didn't say he was going to shake the church or you. He said he's going after the government specifically. Yes. Okay. The next thing he told me was this. Last year, the enemy had actually intentionally released the spirit of despondency of Across the whole entire world. Now that's different than depression. You guys need to realize despondency means the stealing of hope. And he showed me it as a river. And he actually said, so the enemy has released this river and it's just washing over humanity. And he kind of put it like this. I'm going to come and cleanse that river and restore hope again. 
So I felt like the Lord gave me that one. And then the last one was a command to me that I'm to begin to teach on this. And I, I have to say, it's not that I'm not supposed to teach on this. I kind of shocked. But he referred to Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about the armor of God. And it talks about either putting on the belt of truth or you're to gird up your loin with truth. And he actually said that this is your, at least for me, that I'm going to be teaching on truth because that passage specifically means to prepare yourself for battle, you have to saturate yourself with truth. And so God is going after us with truth. We're, we need to hear the truth in a very desperate way in our country right now. And so those are the three things. That's what Paul wanted me to share with you. And I think what we're going to cover this evening is going to cover this. Would you guys look with me at Psalms 110? I do want to say this. I, I do find it fascinating that over the season that we've been going through, the Lord has been having a lot of conversations with me about him being God all-powerful, and how we relate to him in difficult times. And here he is, he's coming with this and this. And so to introduce this passage to you, I need to take you for a moment and begin to develop how we arrive at this passage. All right. So we're going to look at the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus for a moment to get us to this passage so that we can understand it. A lot of you stand in churches with ministers, and what they do is they cover the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they teach it accurately, and they get Jesus on the cross, and then they get him into the grave, and then they say he's resurrected, and then the story stops. And so we're constantly doing a review of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and then we stop at the resurrection, and we just constantly do this review. And it's nothing wrong with that, but Jesus didn't just get raised from the dead, and then the story ends. Most people don't realize that after Jesus was raised from the dead, now this is Jesus in this thing. He's the suffering servant. He's paying for sin. He's, he's a prototype to show humanity how to live. He's describing how the kingdom works. But then over here, after he's raised from the dead, from the book of Acts all the way to the book of Revelations, his identity has changed. He is not the suffering servant anymore. He, he has already paid for the sin of humanity. He is not weak. He is not inefficient. He's actually now the resurrected Lord, and he's relating to us as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And most people never see this part of Jesus. And so when they come to certain passages where he says, I am a king, and this is how they rule, most people just look at that and go, so does that mean he's up in heaven? And that has nothing to do with what's going on earth. So somehow he's up in heaven and... and this, the statement of him is he's Lord, but it doesn't affect anything on this planet. No, God is intentionally right now as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He as a resurrected King, he is moving in humanity and he's doing a very specific work that most people aren't even aware of. Because we never talk about it. We never develop the theology of it. We never even come to you and say, hey, were you guys aware of the fact that he's acting as a king right now and he's on a very specific mission on the planet? And you can actually lead people to the Lord, get them saved, and they never see this, their whole Christian experience. And so they're like, what is God doing in the day and age we live in? Well, I'm going to tell you what he's doing in the day and age we live in. And a lot of times people don't see this, so they only focus on, look what evil people are doing. Does God just watch us and say, I want you to learn to suffer well? Or is he actually responding to this? So let's look at it. Psalms 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
And the Lord stretched out his strong scepter from Sion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power. In holy splendor, from the womb of dawn, your youth to you as dew. All right, so the last part of it is now a parabolic statement of the statement that he just made, but let's just start working through this. So when Jesus is raised from the dead, you see this in Matthew 28, he actually stands to the Sipirias, he's been resurrected, he's now saying, hey, go make disciples of all nations, but before he says that to him, he says, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he looks at the people that are his, the church, and he says to you, your assignment is to go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say that's my assignment. He said that's your assignment. So now he's coming back into, here he's ascended into the heavens. What's his position? What is his, his assignment? He is now seated right next to the Father. And this statement right here is really interesting. I, it says, sit at my right hand. So this is a statement of in kingdoms, they used to have what we would call the people that were to enforce everything they do. They sat on the right hand because the right hand symbolizes the power of that kingdom. So Jesus here as resurrected Lord has been given an assignment that it is his job to express the power of his father in his rule. So it's Jesus' job to express his power and now the question becomes, well, how is he going to express his power? Now, if you guys are like I am, I begin to say, well, the way that looks to me is God's going to have a love fest with everybody all the time. And that would be true in one sense of the word, but let's be really specific. When we say that he has now been placed in a position to express the power of God on the earth, what is he going to do? It says this says, until I make, he says he's to sit on his right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now there's two references to this. One is in the Old Testament and another one is a historical reference. So let's do the Old Testament reference. Think about this. This is the part of, about God that most people don't like. They don't like God being a king and a warrior. Because that just seems too ugly. In the Old Testament, Think about this. The Joshua is now taking over from Moses, and his job is to go and conquer all of God's enemies in the promised land. And each battle he had to go through, he had to have the Lord show his battle plan and how he, really, every battle was actually the Lord doing the battle. You guys realize that? The whole Exodus story isn't how great Israel was as a fighting team. It was how great God is as a warrior. <laughs> And so every battle, you're seeing a part of how God battles to deal with evil. So how does God look at evil? How does he respond to evil? You're seeing the whole, the whole taking of the land. You're seeing how God responds to evil. And what's interesting is, in a certain part, Joshua actually has to take a conquered king, throw him on the ground, and take his foot and put it on his neck. And that is a sin, and he asked, and God told him to do that in front of all the people and in front of all the elders, so that they would get the point. Your enemies are now under your feet; they have no authority over them. Stop being afraid of them. Now, why is that so important for God to do something like that? 
Because people have a hard time understanding an invisible God that they cannot see is more powerful than any earthly leader. And he knows how to win every battle. And because we don't understand that, he has to give us a symbolic picture to say, there is no earthly leader and no earthly battle that actually has any authority over you. You need to stop thinking yourself as the person that's going to be defeated. You need to begin to see yourself the way the Lord is as a king. You will not lose battles if he's involved in them. Amen. And when he says, he says he's going to rule, express his power until he puts every one of his enemies under his feet or become his footstool. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but if you go to historical museums, kings throughout the ages had footstools. And I don't know if you knew this, they had the faces of other kings that when they would sit down, they'd put their foot on their face. <laughs> and it was to show that they had authority over that. They conquered it, and they wanted everyone to have a constant reminder, and the king himself wanted to have a constant reminder, I have authority over you. You don't have authority over me. Also, historically, when they would travel, this is kind of funny, they had traveling thrones in kingdoms in ancient ages. So if a king wanted to go to the farthest part of his kingdom, he actually had this traveling throne that went with him. They would put the throne on the place, and the first thing they'd do is they would put a footstool so the king could put his foot on that in front of everybody. And what it showed him is anywhere he went in his kingdom, he had absolute authority because he had the footstool of authority. It was the idea that ever, however much power a king had, it was expressed in every part of his kingdom because he had authority wherever the throne was at and wherever the footstool was at. It was showing the range and the, 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 the power of the king by wherever he put his footstool. So they traveled with literally footstools so that they could make judgments in any part of their kingdom. And look what he's saying here. He's telling him, I'm going to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's actually saying that anyone that comes against the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule and reign, it is his job to, is, are you guys okay with this language? To decimate their power so that they cannot do evil anymore. That is what he is actually doing in that situation. Now, you see illustrations in the New Testament, and this is important, you see illustrations where it tells us one of the activities of the Holy Spirit, we see it as gifting and stuff like that, but how does the Holy Spirit respond to evil in our day? It actually says that it goes actually out against it. It goes and shuts it down, fights against it, and wars against it. Now, have you guys ever had that taught to you before? That the Lord is actively in his resurrection thing going after evil and all the enemies that are opposing his kingdom. Amen. He's doing it. Hallelujah. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. So it says this. Now it's moving to another part. The Lord will stretch out his strong scepter from Zion, saying, so let's work through that. Do you guys turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, on Easter, I always teach out of this passage because it's, it's just not talking about the fact that Jesus was raising from the dead. It's telling you what happened because he was raised from the dead. So if you and I were doing a basic, hey, here's what the Bible says about this topic, I would come to you and I'd say, now look, 
When Jesus died on the cross, it was a historical event, but it was a spiritual communication of God, also his intent. So we wouldn't just talk about the historical fact, we'd say, what's the ramifications of Jesus dying on the cross? Well, it's the same thing over here. Historically, Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's great to know that historically, but what's the ramifications of Jesus being raised from the dead? Or what we'd say in simple languages, what effect does that event have on my life? So what event does Jesus being raised from the dead have on your life? It says this. Uh, he's talking about the end of human history, and it says, and then comes the end when he will hand over the kingdom to God our Father, when he has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power. He must reign. So how long is he going to be in this position doing this stuff? He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, let's step out of our relationship with Jesus and look at the big picture here. You know him as a loving Savior because he's called you by name and now you're in a covenant relationship with you. So as his, you being his children, he's now adopted you, you're his children, of course he's going to express love to you. But is he having that relationship with everybody? People that are fighting against him, he's not having the relationship you're having with him. He's actually intensely trying to bring them to him, but he is not allowing them to think they have control to do evil as they feel they can. He's against that. Uh, now, for me, this brings comfort to me to realize that the Lord is actively doing this. I mean, I don't know if you guys pray and say, Lord, are you going to do anything? Like, really? What are you doing here? Probably what's going on in heaven is God's going, oh, you finally woke up. I'm doing something. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So let's keep moving on. But see, so he says, he's actually um, to stretch out a strong scepter. Now I'm going to work through that. What is a strong scepter? Have any of you ever been taught about the staff of God or the rod of God? Have any of you ever had any teaching on that? So back in the Old Testament, when God wanted to show who had authority or who had strength, it was always on who carried a rod. So what did Moses have to carry to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt? A staff, a rod. And remember, the whole thing was, was to throw the rod down in front of Pharaoh, and then they tried to have... The, the magicians say, well, our, we can do, they thought it was about magic. He would say, no, who actually has authority? And so now these rods, these scepters, these things represent who has authority, who has power, who can do these things. Now, it's, look at the passage really quick. It says, the Lord will stretch out his strong scepter, saying. So this, this active statement of God stretching it out actually means that God is actively doing this. He's actively doing this. So it says, rule, now who, this, you're going to find this fascinating, who is the strong scepter, or how is he doing this? And he's saying this to his people, look at this, rule in the midst of your enemies. Okay, so God's not throwing each one of us a staff like he did to Moses back in the Old Testament. He's saying, you're the staff. So God already has all the authority in heaven and earth, but he's actually trying to, this is a mystery, isn't it? He's trying to take broken, hurting people that the enemy has victimized and said, 
when I come in the midst of you and I redeem you and give you eternal life, I'm taking you from being a victim in the kingdom of darkness and I'm restoring an identity to you and I'm pronouncing something upon you that you don't even see yourself in and you're to go from just expecting to be victimized the rest of your life, you actually now come into a royal position where you're now allowing the Lord to rule through you in the midst of your enemies. Yes. Now, that actually means, if I could say this properly, you don't need to have a bunch of people vote for you, for you to be in a position of authority. Jesus has already made a vote, and he says, you're in authority. And do you get this? He doesn't say, sit in the midst of your enemy and watch them do evil. He says, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, are you guys okay with this? Yes. This is the hardest part of our identity to, for me to learn and for other people to understand. God actually wants you to get sick of evil and rule in the midst of it. And when you teach on this, people think, so does that mean I have to get a gun and shoot everybody? And the answer is yes. No, that's not what And so God is very intentional in the New Testament to begin to describe you. Well, how do you rule? How do you rule? And so Jesus will come to you and he'll say things like this. Hey, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he begins to describe to you that your battle is not with flesh and blood. Get your head out of the physical realm for a moment and realize the battle's up there. And when you learn to rule and God gives you the power, the scepter of his power to rule in the midst of his enemies, he's saying, if you'll cut it off at the source, it'll stop the evil flood that's coming from it. This is why when I study prayer, are you guys like I am? When I first started studying prayer, I couldn't understand why God wanted me to do it. Why do I have to talk to him every day about this stuff? I mean, the scripture actually tells us he knows everything I need, so why do I have to talk to him about this stuff? Because prayer has a multifaceted purpose to it. It's relational, but it's also ruling. And I learned to rule through prayer. Isn't that amazing? I get to have a conversation with God. God tells me, here's what I want to do. I declare it and come into agreement with it. He moves in the situation just like he did in the Old Testament, and he changes everything. Isn't that an incredible dynamic that God has called you to? And then sometimes he says, I'm not going to do it. You do it. <laughs> if you're made, if this is true, and I, I believe it is, if you're made in the very image of God, God wants to show you that all the things that you were afraid of from the kingdom of darkness when he is victimizing you, you're, you're over it now. You actually control that. It doesn't control you. And I have to share this with you because I've enjoyed the whole COVID experience. <laughs> what a weird thing to say. But guys, I've been in the healing ministry for 25 years, so I'm always around sick. Always. Always. <laughs> I have them coughing on me, sneezing on me, everything else, all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying you guys work through it in your own walk with the Lord, but he's kind of told me, I've sent you in that area. How are they going to get any better if you're in your house watching the Denver Broncos lose football games? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say that. That's really good. Okay, well. Um, guys, I'm always among the broken, 
the infirm, the people that are hurting, I'm always around that. I, I'm not afraid of that. That's, I have had so much victory. I'm not saying this to boast myself. I'm saying this to boast in the Lord. I've seen more than 35,000 illnesses, disease, infirmities, and every kind of sickness and disease on the planet be healed as the Lord has sent me in the midst of him Amen. to do something. Hallelujah. So I don't look at this. Uh, you and I look at disease different. I've had 35 different examples of Jesus doing powerful miracles in people's <laughs> lives. I don't care about it anymore. I'm not afraid of it. I could care less. I'm wanting to move on to bigger things. I want to start raising people from the dead now. Because mm -hmm. I'm tired of being afraid of that. There's nothing to be afraid of in that area. Are you guys with me? Yes. So God has actually called you to go in the midst of it, discover your identity, and begin to rule. This is the, the statement to you. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Excellent. I love this next phrase. Now it's going to actually say, here's what I've commanded you to do, but it's going to actually talk about a phenomenon. The next part of this part of Psalms 110 is a phenomenon that's going to happen, and I see this all the time, so I'll try to do the best I can to explain it. Look what it says here. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Well, what is he saying? Is he saying, until God shows up in power, we will not volunteer freely? Let's take that word volunteer. I don't know. Some translations have volunteer, submit, something like that. But the Hebrew word here, again, sorry I'm saying this. I think this is a weak translation of this word volunteer. I think the better way of describing it in the Hebrew is this. People will become living sacrifices in the day of his power. So, what is God saying? Most people do not submit to the lordship of Jesus until they see an expression of his power. Most men, I watch men in the body of Christ, they don't like the lovey-dovey stuff about Jesus until he touches it with his love and then it changes their heart. Most of them actually say, if you're actually God, I want to see your power. And he's actually describing something here about him being king. How many of you watch God come into the midst of something and show himself powerfully, and you say, I'm going to follow him all the days of my life because he's powerful? How many of you guys do that kind of stuff? So he's actually saying, get this, we talk about sanctification. Do you know how sanctification comes? By the expression of God's power in the midst of his people. There was a phenomenon that used to happen back in the time of Jesus. Uh, so when different generals would go into different lands, I don't know if you ever studied this historically, but generals would actually go with a certain number of soldiers in to win a battle. And obviously they'd lose soldiers through it. But if they conquered it, they actually said that when they'd move on to the next campaign to take over the next city, the men that were in the army that were opposing them, because the general was so strong, they would leave the country they were fighting for and join that army because they wanted to follow a powerful general who conquered. <laughs> so there was always an expansion of armies as generals became more conquering. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. You guys ready? Jesus expands his kingdom as he defeats the work of the enemy in our yes. lives. Yeah. 
You and I have been set into a battle on purpose to draw humanity to a glorious Lord. Yes. We've been set into this. Here's why I've enjoyed the last year so much. Most people look at me. I, I, at New Year's, you guys remember New Year's? Oh, I can't wait to get past this. I'm like, no, this is the best thing that's going on right now. Why? Because the enemy thinks it's okay to terrorize you guys and get you to conform. And it's not. It's not good for you to be terrorized. It's not good for you to be afraid. None of that, that's none of that is the kingdom of God. And so God has intentionally come to us in the midst of this, and he's begun to do this beautiful thing inside of us, and it's called what we call an identity transformation, where he's allowing the pressure of this to squeeze us to become who we are. You guys ever heard this? You've been created for the battle. Yes. Now, most of us don't like that. So there's always this section of the body of Christ that just thinks, well, I don't like talking about that. So that's that spiritual warfare group. And I just love the lovey-dovey mm -hmm. stuff of Jesus. The most loving thing you can do is enter into a battle. Yes. Because God's just tired of people being traumatized, oppressed, taken advantage of, having their bodies decimated, their mm -hmm. lives falling apart. He's sick of that. Yes. Amen. All right, let's keep moving on. Look with me at... Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I, I went over this a couple months ago. But this is an important passage. If we're saying that he has called us to a battle, so did Jesus reflect the battle in his earthly life that we're to begin to look at and go, oh, that's the battle. That's what the battle looks like. Think about it over here. When it says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, we all hear that, but the minute we get in the battle, we immediately embrace the flesh and try to fight it that way. Right? How many, have any of you been angry at anything that's been going on as the battle's been shown to you lately? Yes. So, Paul. Just a little. I'm a real man. Okay. So, some of us are probably being surprised. Why would God actually throw me into a battle? Or why do we even have to have a battle in the first place? If God is for us, we should be on a Bahama vacation yeah. continually. <laughs> So now we're being forced into this. And usually when a battle comes up and you're not ready for it, there are two responses. Get really angry about it or, or live in denial. And denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> and so some people want to go farther into deception when they're put into a battle. And then some people respond by just being angry. And both of those responses are incorrect. So what is the proper response? Acts, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says this. Do you know... Of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what's the, what's the response here? He's saying, when the battle came up, the response was to do good to humanity and heal all that are oppressed of the devil. That's what you and I did. His job is to stop evil. Our job is to show the goodness of God in response to evil. And so the language here is really fascinating. Jesus went about doing good, and the word good here means restoring the benefits 
So what benefits are being restored when we go about doing good? Everything that Jesus purchased on the cross for humanity is to be restored to humanity. Everything that Jesus died on the cross for, think how powerful it is and how many people are not enjoying any of the goodness of experiencing that in their life. So we talk about it historically. Well, Jesus did all this stuff and it's just enough to agree to it. That's, that's so... That's not so what God wants. God doesn't want you guys just saying, yeah, I can see the truth of that, but I don't experience any of the goodness of it. That'd be like being living with a millionaire and getting none of the inheritance. God didn't die on the cross just to give you a ticket for eternity. He, gave you, he died on the cross to show you his goodness in the land of the living. And so he went about doing good to take the benefits of the cross and give it to people. And it says he healed, and the word healing here is actually interesting. It's, there are types of healing in the New Testament. And I don't mean just physical or emotional or anything. There are some healings that reflect the compassion of God. And then there are other Greek words that are used for healing where it describes it's such a power encounter. It reflects people to actually enjoy the Lord. And that's the Greek word that's being used here. Jesus went about doing good and healing, and the purpose of the healing was to awaken their heart to the loving God so that they would fall in love with him. And that's the type of healing that Jesus did. I think healing's great. I love watching Jesus heal. But it's more important that they connect properly with a loving God who heals. And that's what Jesus did. And then it says, and all who are oppressed by the devil. Oppression is not just being under the weather or being depressed. It's a specific Greek word. It means the devil comes to you and he steals your identity and he opposes your destiny. And so Jesus has come to do good, heal you of whatever is not being healed in your life, and then he strips the power of the enemy that keeps you from entering into what God created you to do and to experience the prosperity of the goodness of the Lord the rest of your life. Oh, thanks, Tim. So here's what he's now trying to say in this passage that we just read. When God comes and shows his tangible goodness to you in your life, a response happens in the heart. And you become a, a willing, living sacrifice. You end up saying, I've never seen a, I've never seen a conqueror like this. I'm going to give my life to him. And the reason why most people struggle with the lordship of Jesus is they think Jesus is demanding it instead of understanding, accepting the lordship of Jesus is the natural expression when you see the power of Jesus. And what we've done in our culture is we've talked a good talk about Jesus and done none, none of the demonstrations of his power so people's hearts will be affected properly so they get on the right response to this thing. I want to see Jesus be king of kings. He already is, whether I acknowledge it or not, but I want to see it expressed on this planet so that the goodness of God will actually transform people's lives so that they can give themselves to the reality of living on this planet. Yes. Amen. Remember? It's kind of hard to say this to you guys now because we who knows what the future is going to look like. But you might as well give up the American dream. That's not what Jesus called you to. He didn't call you to, I get to retire at 60, go to flea markets the rest of my life, and fishing. <laughs> that was your plan. Give it up. Right. His plan for you 
was for you to actually catch this from him. There should be a joy in you that every person you encounter, they're to experience the goodness of God. And anything that's opposing that, he's given you all the power you need to deal with it. So that their life will be set on fire to the purpose of why they were created in the first place, and their souls prosper so much they enjoy the Lord. Then it uses this, it begins to tell us a parable, and let's look at the parable. The last part of this passage. Rule in the midst of your enemy. Your people will voluntarily, volunteer freely on the day of your power. By the way, the Hebrew word here for power is in the physical realm. This is important. It's not saying just you experience the power of God. You, it says you will volunteer freely when you see his power in the physical realm. So that means, have any of you ever prayed and said, God, would you do? And God does. Uh-huh. You've just seen his power expressed in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever prayed for someone and they got somewhat better? You saw the power of God in the physical realm. Now, I don't want to get too technical here. But some people, when they say power, they always talk about, well, it should just be how I feel. Do I feel the presence of the Lord? But that's not enough That's not enough for you in your relationship with God. God doesn't want you to just feel his presence and then just watch the world decimated. He actually wants to come into the physical world and show his power to satisfy a longing in you that you were created to be more than a conqueror through him who loves you. There's a, there's a longing in you. Have you guys gotten in touch with it yet? The reason you're sick and tired of what the devil does in sickness and disease is because you were created to be a conqueror. And most of us don't even use this language with each other. How many times have you stood up in front of someone and said, Hey guys, we're in here to be trained to be conquerors. We don't even talk like that. We talk like this. We're in this room to learn to put up with all. <laughs> is this too radical stuff? You doing okay? okay? So, let's look at your life for a moment. The difficult things you're going through, is Jesus trying to perfect you in suffering so that you get a medal when you die? Or is he coming to you and is he going, are you sick of that yet? Or are you going to ask me how to conquer do you guys ever do that when you go? Most of the time when I, and I enter into a battle, the first season of it, I spend a lot of time whining. <laughs> Why, oh Lord, did, what did I do to bring myself into this place? And I start repenting of every sin I've ever done. You guys do this? And then I repent of everybody else's sins all the way back to Adam. Because I always think I cause it. Do you, any of you think like that? And then after I get through that stage... Then I try to bargain with God to get me out of it instead of learning to rise up in it and actually become an overcomer. I'm always trying to figure out how to get out of the fight. Are you guys like that? Mm -hmm. Because I've been, if I can say this properly, I've not been given the whole truth, so I've bought a bill of goods that God's not trying to give me. God is actually trying to teach something in the middle of, of our struggles that most of us, I would say, I forget most of the time, and most people I talk to forget it at the time. 
God isn't just trying to form you into Christ. He isn't just trying to teach you how to suffer. We get those benefits through that. But he's trying to reorient your true identity and say, look, not only are you supposed to win this, you're supposed to rise so far above it that you learn to be a person that laughs at these things. And you can't wait for it to come in the future because you're going to overcome it and you already know it. Now, how many of you look and go, I can't wait for the next thing that comes to challenge my identity. <laughs> well, I'm not there yet either. I'm telling you the truth, but the reality of it is, is I'm trying to figure out how to find Hawaii, why I live on this planet all the time. <laughs> Continual beach roaming, getting suntans, and swimming in the ocean, and little or no effort. <laughs> now, you might not be like that. Maybe some of you might really like the battle, and you're, why are you talking like this, Brian? But most people don't like this stuff. And you guys ready? And that's why we don't teach it. It's in the Word, but we never focus people to think this way because we think this is a hassle to teach people to become an overcomer. But it's what God is intentionally doing. So if we're going to be about what God's doing in 2021, we've got to say, well, what is he doing? He's actually actively as a resurrected Lord going after the enemies that want to oppress people. Yes. And he's taking you along and he's saying, now I'm going to use you, my scepter, to rule in the midst of that. Yes. So you guys ready? You get to sign up. <laughs> you might as well not struggle with it. You might as well say, yes, let's go do it. And then everything that comes towards you, you'll enjoy instead of trying to figure out how do I get out of here as fast as I can. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. You guys can see your face from my perspective. Let's look at the last part of this. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power. And then it moves to another, it just changes. It now takes on poetic language and it says, In your holy splendor, from the womb of the dawn, your youth to you as due. What is this saying? It's using poetic language to describe the ruling of God on the planet through, your, through his people. And he's saying, he's using language of dawn, he's using language of rebirth, and he's using language of hope. And he, now he's trying to tell you, how is hope, how is a new day brought about us? So, I want hope. But, you guys ready? He's saying, how does hope happen? Hope happens when we recognize him as a ruler. We begin to go in the midst of us, and you guys ready? You're the hope creators. You're the scepter that releases hope into every situation. Are you okay with that? So you're called into a battle. Think how dynamic this is. I'm called into a battle to fight because what's going to happen is we're going to see hope be released in the whole entire situation. So the struggle is worth it because of the hope that the new dawn that actually comes in the situation. Okay, would you guys join me in prayer? Turn your hearts with me to the Lord.
from your throne, would you bring the power of your presence to us? I ask that a renewing would come to our hearts and our minds. That you would express your power to us and satisfy the longing to rise up to become what you call us to be. As Paul was sharing, and I'm, I'm totally aware of this, Lord, because of the increase of what we would call the expression of evil, it wearies the heart. I ask that an awakening and a refreshing would come back to us, Lord. Come and refresh us with your presence and your power. I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and bring wholeness inside their hearts and their minds right now and lift them beyond their present circumstance into eternal hope. Now let it come. And I'm going to take you at your word, Lord. Anywhere where we have uh, been washed over by despondency, I break the power of that in the name of Jesus. And I ask that freshness and grace and love would just come into our hearts and our minds. And we would be touched by your renewal. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command his blessing upon you. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.